We've all had the opportunity to attend a great event or conference and come away feeling fantastic about it. But then we've also attended some events that at best have been disappointing. Sometimes that's not the fault of the event organizer. Events can be fantastic and amazing all at the same time. And because it's an event, it's its own living, breathing entity, right? So something will happen. We know that something will happen and we can plan as much as we possibly can in the first part, but we also know that we need to be fluid and flexible and do things with as much grace and ease as possible when those things show up. Because the intention of the event, remember, you always have an offer. But other times it is the fault, at least the fault of the host of the event. And it's often because they haven't addressed the problem that you were looking to solve and made you book time out to come to their event or conference in the first place. People are showing up because you are solving a problem for them, right? You are offering a solution to the things that they don't know. Now, I feel that you are doing them a disservice if you don't offer them a next step. So that's why I feel it's really important that you have some type of offer strategy within your event itself. That's my guest this week, Shay Wheat, a certified event producer. In our conversation, Shay shares many of the do's and don'ts of events. And she also shares the five phases of event leverage that will have you moving from property tour to filling out large ballrooms. All that after the break. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. If you're looking for the REI branded podcast, you are actually in the right place. We recently renamed it. The content is the same, helping you to build your brand and business, reach more people, and stand out from the competition. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose to you. Shay, thank you for joining us. I think you probably have been incredibly busy the last couple of years. Because the whole event space has has changed. And it's funny, one of my clients is a real estate investing club. And we were happily going along holding in-person events and we were growing and we grew up from 50 people a month to 300. And then all of a sudden COVID hit. And of course, we had to completely, I think the overused word during the pandemic has been pivot. Yes. Um, but we had to pivot. And uh, you know, the first online event we had, we had 800 register. Because I think we we were quick out of the gate. But now, I think the challenge that we're all facing, even as we get back into more in-person, is what is the way to go now? Is it hybrid? Is it in-person? Is it purely online? What are you seeing and, and what's your best advice to people to determine what is the way to go? Yeah, so many good things were coming out of what you were just saying. So you have a couple of different things you want to take a look at. One is where is your audience coming from, right? Do you have an international audience? We have a client of ours that has, we did an event and there were 60 different countries represented on that virtual live event. And we had them for three days with us, right? And stayed engaged with us for three days. 
versus we have other clients that are very locally connected. Their audience is really local. So it makes sense for them to easily put together an in-person event. And then we also have clients that are like, you know what? I want to get back to in-person, but I don't want to lose the virtual side. Um, Let's take a look at hybrid. And the thing I am advocating is really to say, really, you should look at one or the other. Honestly, you should either do and rock out a virtual live event, or you should rock out an in-person. Once you start to get into hybrid, you're now looking at two events. Okay. You're having to talk to two audiences. You're having two teams. You're having, you know, people that are supporting both sides of it. You as the event host have to split your brain to talk to both audiences because what you don't want is to have one of those audiences be the ugly stepchild, right? (laughs) Where you just like totally forget about them completely. And then they check out. And then they become disgruntled and then they never want to do business with you again, right? That's what we don't want. So only my clients that have been doing this for a very long time, do we take a look at hybrid? Otherwise, I highly suggest you rock out one or the other. And it doesn't mean you can't do a in-person event and then six months later, do a, a virtual live event, right? You can still support both audiences, but I would suggest looking at them separately at first. Hmm. So I hadn't thought of that because, again, the the real estate club that I mentioned, they were local, but mm-hmm. because we went virtual, we were able to go national. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now the challenge is we have the local group clamoring to get back in person, and they keep mm-hmm. asking, can we meet in person? Can we meet in person? And then, of course, we have the national event audience that we've developed mm-hmm. that, that are still expecting. So I hadn't thought of it to do it two separate things, but it makes a ton of set, ton of set. And I'm guessing from a technical aspect, it's a lot less pressure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's also easier on your budget, right. right? Because what's happened the past few years in the virtual live space is people are now used to that high level of engagement. We can never go back to straight live streaming where it's just watching a talking head on stage, right? In a, in a hybrid situation, you really have to have your separate MC engaging with the audience. You have to be taking a look at when you're doing your run a show and your flow of the agenda, you know, when you're in person and you have a 30 minute break, virtual doesn't need a 30 minute break, you know, cause they're just going to their restroom or they're going to their kitchen to go and get a meal and then ready to come back and rock and roll. You know, so what are you doing in that 15 minutes that in person isn't back in the room yet, but virtual is ready to do something. So you have to think through kind of two separate run of shows, two agendas of how we're really supporting people. When you're doing something in person for like a VIP audience, do you have anything that you're doing for the virtual audience? Or like for one of our clients that is doing a hybrid at the end of this year, are in person is the VIPs and the general mission is the live stream portion wow. of it, right? Okay. So you just have to think through a few more steps. You have to think through food and beverage and room block and room rental and where are we putting people type of thing for the in-person crowd that you don't have to with the virtual crowd. Right. So they're investing more to be with you 
which also then, unfortunately, you have to take a look at attrition, you know, and are people going to go, yeah, you know what? Flying right now is kind of crazy priced. I'm going to change my in-person ticket to a virtual ticket. And now you have to account for all that food and beverage that you bought and the room block that you have, right? So there's there's just a number of things that we think through and we support our clients in thinking through when they're trying to decide what is the best event for your audience. And if we look at just events overall, what are the things that kind of are must-haves to have a successful event? But do you have a kind of, okay, these are the three things that you absolutely must do to even hope that you're going to get good feedback on that on that event there's a number of fundamentals that you end up thinking through when you're running and producing and hosting an event right so you're going to be taking a look at what is the audience how are you doing the ticket sales what is your run a show what is your agenda and within that what is the event promise so whether people end up doing business with you after the event or not, you want them to walk away with crazy awesome value. Want them to say, oh my gosh, that was totally worth my time in being with you. So you really have to craft your run a show to make it so that it is, it's valuable because people are trading their time and their money and their energy to be with you. You want that exchange to be valuable. Then you also want to take a look at what is your offer strategy? A lot of people I look at with their events, they're like, oh, I just want to get a group of people together and we're just going to go and tour some properties and we're just going to go and have a good time, but they don't have an offer strategy in mind. People are showing up because you are solving a problem for them, right? You are offering a solution to the things that they don't know. Now, I feel that you are doing them a disservice if you don't offer them a next step. So that's why I feel it's really important that you have some type of offer strategy within your event itself. The fourth fundamental is who is your support team? <laughs> like there's no way you're going to be running and producing an event by yourself and you should not be doing it by yourself, right? Like you are the talent, you are the one with the vision, you are the one that's supposed to be shining on stage, not the one worried about is the breakout room set up or, you know, is the food and beverage ready for lunch or is your guest speaker ready or is the bus here for the tour? Like you want your team to handle all those details so you can stay in your genius zone. And then number five is your budget. We want it to be powerful and profitable for you. We don't want you to be losing money on your event. So those are some key pieces that you need to think through any time that you're hosting an event. And then within that, then we get into the nuances of, you know, how do we keep people with us for three days? How do we keep, how do we have them show up in the first place? How do we keep them engaged while they're with us? All those different kind of pieces then come into play. Talking of engagement, what have you seen work well over the last couple of years as we've been completely virtual? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the virtual live events, the best things that work is movement. And what I mean by that is we've built studios in our clients' offices, and we've also built them in hotel rooms. We've, you know, built a number of them in different locations. We've gone to professional studios to up-level the experience of the audience. 
So they're at home, right? They're like the dogs coming in, the children are wanting attention, like your significant others, like, why are you still at your computer? You've been there for eight hours. Like what's happening, right? There's all kinds of other distractions. So how do we keep them with us? And the best things that have been working in the virtual space is movement. You want to think of your event like a movie, okay? Like there's an arc and a flow to uh, the events that we help create that really take people on a journey as if they are the ones in the movie, right? They're the ones going, okay, what is my vision? How many houses do I want to have? What does my portfolio look like? In five years, what does this look like? Who do I need on my team to support me in, in collecting all of these vendors or the portfolio that I need to have or the connections and the mortgage people, right? Like, what does that really look like for me? What are the next steps that I need to take? And so we take you on this journey of showing you all the pieces. Part of the offer strategy is then, okay, great. Let us introduce you to the people. Let us show you the properties. Let's give you a next step. But in that movie, if they're just staring at a computer screen, you've got to make it fun and engaging. You've got to have different camera angles. You've got to have like the straight on camera angle. You've got to have like a side shot, maybe a shot from behind showing what it is that you as the speaker sees in front of you. Do you have a bunch of Zoom screens in front of you that you can actually engage with people and call them out by name and let them really be seen and heard? Do you have guest speakers coming in? Are you using video? Are you using movement, like actual people getting up and going, okay, let's stretch it out. We've all been sitting at our chairs for a bit, you know, um, music, all these different pieces come into play to keep people's interest. So as long as you think of it like a movie, then you're totally set and don't be afraid to have, you know, fun emoji sticks too. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I loved your point earlier about somebody has invested, whether it's money, time, whatever it is, and there is a promise or they, they're a perceived promise, even if you haven't communicated it correctly, which is something you've highlighted you should, mm -hmm. um, and solving a problem. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the vision piece for that, that attendee, is that something you, you recommend kind of prompting ahead of time to get people to think about prior mm -hmm. to turning up? Absolutely. Yeah, because you're in the promotion of your event, they're going, well, why, why am I coming? What's the point? What's the, why, what am I getting out of spending time with you? And so absolutely prompt them. If you're doing a sales page or if you're doing marketing, put on there, this is for you. If you are looking to X, Y, and Z, this is not for you. If you're not right, this is what we're going to be accomplishing. This is what you're going to walk away with. This is our intention. And if this is something that is your next best step, then join us at the event. And what about when you're thinking about keeping those people or getting them to, to stay? Yeah. Are there things that kind of put people off? I, mean, I, well, I guess it's the opposite of what you've just said is putting people off is not having movement, not having engagement, not having different angles or keeping people mm -hmm. entertained. What are you seeing now that we're flipping back to in-person events? Are mm -hmm. you seeing reluctance? Are you seeing... You mentioned earlier about people jumping on a plane and 
we're seeing at the moment airports are, are a nightmare to be at. Right. Yes. But but has has the pandemic also highlighted to people, okay, if I'm gonna do all this, it really you know, do events now, in-person events have to be taken up even more of a notch than they've ever been in the past just to get people to turn up? I think right now people are jonesing to be in person, right? So they're wanting to get back to the networking. They're wanting to get back to the meeting after the meeting, the hallway interactions, the meeting at the bar. They're wanting to have that so badly that they're okay spending the time and energy to get to the airport and paying a little bit extra. Uh, you will have a, a percentage of people enough to still fill your room. Okay. It's not going to, may not necessarily be thousands of people, but we are seeing people bringing in 50, 100, 150, 250 people into an in-person space. Right. And that's completely fine. That's a, that's a great amount of people, right. Enough that you can still do a little bit of social distancing and not be right on top of each other. Right. Like we were in the past. (laughs) So I do see that. You will also still have a percentage of people that are like, yeah, I'm not ready to travel. And, you know, regardless of what your promise of your event is, that's not going to change for them because they're just not ready. But we do see a percentage of people are really jonesing to be in person and are willing to pay to be in person and invest in that. What about that four letter F word free? Is is there the time to run events that are free or again? Does that go back to your point about what's your goal for the event? What it, What is the outcome that you want to get from it? Yes. So there's actually like 17 different types of events that you can be utilizing in your business, right? 17. You're like, what? Wait, hold on. So it, it depends on what is the intention of the event. If you are looking to do a lead gen Uh, lead generation type of event versus a sales and enrollment event, you're going to be doing a different type. So you can be doing like a 90 minute workshop. You can do a summit. You can do a retreat. You can do a mastermind. You can do a one day sales event, a three day sales event, seminars, podcasts. Did you know that this is an event? I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, meetups, Facebook lives, Instagram lives, clubhouses, conferences, challenges, like these are all different types of events. And each of them have different price points. So for instance, if you were planning on doing like a 90 minute workshop or a masterclass on the power of having an amazing mortgage broker that you work with as a part of your team, right? You could talk for 90 minutes and you can have that be a free event because the intention of the event, remember, you always have an offer. You always have an offer strategy is to possibly get on the phone with you to discuss further what it looks like to work with a mortgage person as a part of your team, right? If, if you are a mortgage person, right? right? And you're looking to talk to other real estate professionals. And so the offer is essentially let's schedule um you know, complimentary strategy session, free to attend the event, lead generation for you, adds them to your CRM, adds them to your email, you know, housing unit. uh, So you can continue to market to them and they're targeted leads for you going forward, right? Versus if you were doing a in-person event, depending on what it is, if you're doing a meetup and you're doing it consistently, okay, great. You can, you can do that for free. 
If you were doing a one day educational event that, you know, sells into some type of offering that you have, I would definitely make that a paid offer. Okay. Because you've got to pay for the hotel. You've got to pay for food and beverage. You've got to pay for things on top of it. Right. So there's got to be some ROI on it for you as well. What about the balance between the kind of sponsored, sell from the stage type of events mm-hmm. and charging some kind of admission. Is there a is there a happy balance or is it better to have, okay, this is a sell from stage event. Every speaker is going to make some kind of offer and there you go. So I'm thinking the real estate investors, for example, might put on a, a one-day event where each hour there's a different real estate investing strategy and somebody expert is coming in, but then they have a program that Mm-hmm. They sell mm-hmm. and and you as the organizer maybe take a percentage like Absolutely. An, aff- an affiliate yeah. fee. So that I would probably tweak it a little bit. Okay. Right. So instead of them necessarily selling from stage, they could offer a free gift from mm-hmm. stage and have a booth as a sponsor, right? So they can get up, they can teach for 45 minutes uh, or teach for 30 minutes, um, do some experiential things, right? So they're do writing exercises or do a breakout session or do um, like partner shares, comeback group shares, right? So that's that engagement piece that we want to make sure that we include in or you as the host do that part of it. So they come up and they teach, they offer their free gift and then you go, okay, great. Wasn't Paul amazing? Fantastic. So want you to write in your workbook right now. What are the the next steps? What are the action steps that you're going to be taking based on what Paul just talked about, right? So then you're having that movement piece is still a part of your event, but they're not selling programs from the stage. Now, it doesn't mean they can't go and talk to them in the hallway at their sponsor booth and sell things from their sponsor booth, okay? So that way it's not necessarily a pitch fest from the stage, but the sponsors are still gaining leads. Anybody who does a sponsorship should know their ROI. They should know if I'm in a room of 100 people of my ideal audience and I offer my free gift, I know that I'm going to have 75% of them pick that offer up, that free gift. They're now on my list. Once they're on my list, I end up offering a strategy session I end up having, I don't know, 10 of them say yes. And I book two of them into my $5,000 offer. I just made $10,000, right? So know your numbers. It pays to be a sponsor and still give a free gift. Good point. I realize every event is different. Do you have a sense of what are the type of percentages of people? And I'm thinking perhaps more so for free events how many people actually turn up? So 100, 500 people register, but how many actually turn up to the free event, particularly if it's online, but I'm guessing yeah. also, also in person that that can happen as well. Yeah, you're right. They do, they do fluctuate for sure. If you are doing a free ticket, you want to probably, you want to assume that 10 to 15% are going to show. Wow. If you're doing comped tickets, meaning they've already purchased from you in the past, and now you're inviting them to, you know, a free ticket, a comp ticket to the next program or, you know, event that you're offering, you're going to, you'll probably see 50 to 70% show rate. 
And then for your paid tickets on a virtual event, you're probably looking at 70 to 80%. We are seeing some higher numbers, but they are really implementing some stick strategies that are encouraging people to show up to those virtual live events. Right. Generally, be it virtual or in person, is there, you know, what is the value of recording it and, that, and making that available? Is that something you typically recommend? Yeah, usually our upgraded VIP Premier Plus will get a recording. So they're paying a little bit more. And part of that value add is they get the recordings. Uh, we don't make the recordings available right away. We want to, you know, give them like 14 day grace period for your team to make sure that you can download them. You can put them up on the website that you want to, you know, they can make it really nice, right? As a landing page for them to go and watch all of the recordings. It also encourages people to actually show up and versus them going, I'll just watch the recording. Personally, I mean, even in mastermind groups and stuff that I'm a part of, and part of that has like retreats. I missed a retreat because I was producing an event in the Bahamas. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was in March. And just now I watched probably an hour of the two-day retreat. And we're, you know, in July. So the the only thing is, you know, will people actually watch it? I don't know. You know, for me, it's it's like I've already got so many other things I'm doing. So it is valuable to offer it because that is a objection that people have. What if I can't be there the whole time? Great. That's why we also put in there, you get it 14 days after to encourage people to actually show up for as much as they possibly can. And then if they missed a segment, they're not having to watch all the days, they can watch that segment, right? So yes, I say absolutely do recordings, but also encourage them to be with you during the event as much as possible and do it as an upgrade. Otherwise, everybody's gonna be like, I'm just gonna watch the recording and not show up at all. And now you're sitting with, you know, $4,000 worth of brownies surrounding you. (laughs) Which may be bad for for the waistline, for sure. Right. (laughs) And what about follow-up afterwards? Things like surveys, how important are are things like that? I think they're great. When we were mainly in person pre-pandemic, we absolutely did um, during the event surveys. So we pass things out and it's like, what did you like? What did you want to see more of? What do you wish we actually talked about but didn't? Give us a testimonial so then you can utilize those assets for the next event. You can do the same thing for virtual. You will, you know, obviously only have a percentage of people fill it out unless you give them some incentive. They get some type of gift. They get something for actually filling it out for you. But I think it gives you valuable information. It's kind of like ongoing market research for you. And I think every business deserves to be constantly asking their clients and potential clients, what do they want to know? Where are they at right now? How can we tweak and adjust what it is that we're doing so we can serve you better? Absolutely. I love them. You mentioned gifts. What about the things like the the conference trinkets and trash, as my promotional products colleagues would call it, and also perhaps more uh, quality items? Mm-hmm. What what are the sort of things that you recommend? What are the things you stay uh, steer clear of it? I, I know part of that will go back to budget, but um, yes, 
Yeah, absolutely. It'll go back to budget, but it also needs to go back to your run a show. It needs to make sense that it's in your bag. It's in your swag bag. It's in your gift bag, your VIP bag, right? So, you know, I've got clients that are massage therapists or, you know, they're healers or something along those lines. And they're like, okay, I can put essential oils. I can put candles. I can put those things into my box because from stage, you're going to go, okay, everybody pull out your lemon essential oil put that on. Okay. Breathe that in. Let's do a meditation around it. Right. So for real estate, what would make sense for your audience? Do they, do they need a planner? Do they need something that keeps uh, like a Rolodex of some sort that keeps track of all of their vendors? What is it that they need and utilize and would actually keep on their desk or keep with them? That's valuable versus just another water bottle. Right. Like, I don't I can't tell you how many water bottles and hats and things I have. It's like, OK, I guess maybe I would wear that hat, but it's not really in my color palette. So probably not, you know, right. <laughs> so make right. sure that it's actually valuable. Otherwise, it's just like you said, it's trash and trinkets. Right. From an event organizer's point of view, what about things like social media? What are the things that you're recommending an event organizer or an event runner does? Mm -hmm. An event host absolutely utilize social media. So do you have Facebook groups and Instagrams and um, are your people on LinkedIn? You can do LinkedIn events to promote your event. So I would absolutely include that as a part of your ticket map, include it as a part of how you plan on filling the room and getting the word out there, especially if you're looking to have more than 50 people, right? You'll probably have to fill your event outside of your email list. So absolutely look at social media, engaging in other groups that have your ideal audience, just like you would go networking in person, you do the networking online. Now you're a certified event producer. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what that is and, and why, why hire a certified event producer. So a certified event producer is definitely skilled in what we call sales and enrollment events. So we're taking a look at how to actually make you money, (laughs) right? Versus a, a, a planner, event planner, somebody along those lines, they're going to mainly implement what it is that you want to be done. They're just, they're not, they're just going to take your vision and go, okay, yeah, I can make that happen versus a certified event producer is going to look at things from a strategic standpoint. They're going to say, okay, this is what's working. This is what's not working. This is how we need to tweak and adjust it. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? What is your stick strategy? How are you planning on? We spend probably a hundred plus hours pre-event working with our clients to make sure that their event is successful. That's why our clients are making six and seven figures at their three-day events. Wow, 100 hours. I I mean, I certainly got the sense, I mean, immediately as you kicked off at the top, problem, solve, promise. So I can see the strategy piece. That makes a a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. What about final kind of tips, strategies, recommendations that you have for people that are running? Obviously, the the events that you're doing at a kind of larger scale, but then there are real estate investors listening to this that would do. And we were talking before we came on about property tours and things like that. What sort of advice do you have? What what extra 
tips can you give? Yeah, absolutely. So there's certain types of events that you should be utilizing at certain times in your business. So depending on the phase of event leverage that you're in, you want to use different events. In the beginning, you're wanting to get visibility, right? You're looking to grow your list. You're growing your influence. Then you you go from visibility to actual grow. So in the first and second phase, actually, is visibility. You want to make sure that you're doing the free platforms. You're doing you know, the things that don't cost a whole lot of money to reach out and touch your audience. Then when you're in grow phase, phase three, you're wanting to create your own stages. You're wanting to bring people into your world a lot more. So you're going to be doing those 90-minute masterclasses. You're going to be doing uh, meetup groups. You're going to be doing maybe some of those kind of tour potentials where people are coming in for a short amount of time, but you're getting to showcase what it is that you're doing and showcase how you can support them to the point where you move to four and five, where you're scaling and leveraging what it is that you're doing. So depending on the phase of event leverage you're in, you're going to be using different types of events. And my suggestion is not to jump phases, right? So um, you don't want to necessarily go right out the bat and go, I'm going to have a a hotel and we're going to bring everybody in. I'm planning on having 500 people at it, but yet you have no list. You have no way of filling the room. You have no idea what your ideal audience really wants, what their pain point is, right? We want to make sure that we're strategically building upon itself. So that would be my suggestion is know what phase of event leverage you're in and rock that phase until you move on to the next and next and next. Great, great advice. Uh, what about a uh, couple of questions I like to ask uh, mm-hmm. my guests? What about your favorite, uh, your own favorite personal brand uh, and why? Um, you know, I've, I think I've been watching a couple of different brands. So, you know, I'll watch uh, some personal development leaders. One of my clients is Lisa Nichols and Motivating the Masses. You know, she's got a really fun community and I love that she, where she came from and her story to how she supports the masses now um, is one of my, my favorite brands. And then, you know, I just also kind of like watching how brands outside of my niche relate to my niche, you know, so I'll look at gaming platforms and things along those lines to go, how can I make that work? in my world, you know, so it's, it's not necessarily a specific brand, but I'm looking at different types of brands on how I can make it fit in my space. That's, that is a gem of a piece of advice. And it reminds me, I had a boss years and years ago. And whenever we were calling on a certain type of retailer, but whenever we walked down the high street, he never went into those types of stores. He always went into other types of stores to pick up on what they were doing, right. which which you could then go to your clients and say, okay, this is, you know, have you thought about doing this? This is different. This makes you, makes you stand makes you out. Makes you unique, right? right. Yeah. yeah. That makes a ton of sense. What about a favorite business book or podcast? Oh, okay. Podcast. Uh, I've been listening to the Business Lunch, uh, Roland Frazier and I think Ryan Dice. That's really good. And then one of my books that I'm reading right now is the, oh goodness, The Wealthy Entrepreneur. Mm. This is actually another one of my clients, 
but he is talking about, you know, the formula for making money and gaining financial clarity in your business. And so who doesn't need more financial clarity in their business? So I'm really enjoying this one right now too. Mm, Good. recommend. I'm going to make a note of that one. And do you have a tool or resource, a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? I love Slack. I absolutely love Slack and Zoom. I use them all day, every day, Um, whether it's communication with my clients, communication with my team. uh, Those are the, the two platforms that I can take with me no matter where I'm at and still stay connected, which is fantastic because I have a, you know, international business. Because you mentioned the Bahamas, which I'm slightly jealous of, but, <laughs> but I noticed as well on your, you're just recently in France. Was that right? I was, or, I was just great. recently in France. Yeah. Right. Which is great, isn't it? So you get the chance to travel somewhere, see somewhere else, as well as and maybe put on an event for a client at the same time. So Exactly. And still be able to move business forward. Right. And do you have a favorite quote? I had one. I recently just moved. And so I haven't put everything up in my office. Right. But uh, one of the, it's kind of a long quote. It's the deepest fear. Our deepest fear is that we are not inadequate, but we are powerful beyond measure, I believe is, is the terminology for it. Cause just remembering that we can do anything. It's sometimes just the belief in ourself and the, how can I attitude that will open up the brain to look at it from a different perspective. But the thing that holds us back and the thing that I feel that holds me back sometimes is the fear of what if this is so crazy successful that I'm going to lose who I was, Mm. Uh, which has never really happened. I've always grown and progressed, but you know, it's like that little personal development thing you keep on going after because we're human. I I was going to say, I don't think you're alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, yeah. Human nature. You're right. Absolutely. How can people find out more about you, Shay, more about your business? Uh, where Where can people reach you? We are all on all the social medias under Grace and Ease Productions. Um, you can also find us at graceandeaseproductions.com. And then for those in your audience that are actually interested in learning about the phases of event leverage, um, I have a free gift for them. Great. So if they want to head over to fivephases.info, and that's spelling out the word five, F-I-V-E, phases.info, forward slash REI, they can go ahead and pick that free gift up, learn about what phase of events they are in and should be doing right now to grow their business. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for today and everything that you've shared. I think people are going to be walking away with with some great ideas and and tips about events and uh, have yourself a brandtastic day. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Paul.